0: We're in a series called Kid Stuff for Adults. I know we have some guests here today because I met you before the service. And so let me just explain, and our, our members can probably parrot what I'm about to say because they've heard me say it over and over again. But this study is a study in which we take many of the biblical stories that we teach to our children when they're in Sunday school, when they're in junior church. We call that Discovery Class and Adventure Zone here. And we teach them about these great Bible characters and these great Bible stories, but we never revisit those stories as, as adults. And so what we're doing in this series is we're returning to some of those great characters, some of those great stories, and we're looking at them again, but from an adult perspective. Things that we'll cover that we wouldn't share with our children because it would be over their level of understanding. Now, recently, we've been doing Raiders of the Lost Ark. Now, we all know the movie and all all the the fanfare and the many, I guess there was about three or four movies that were made in that series. But we're giving you the real story of the lost ark, because it really did happen. Remember, the ark that was portrayed in the movie and the ark that's really in the Bible was a, an important symbol to the nation of Israel. It was the symbol of God's presence with them. Wherever they went, the ark went with them. And that was considered by them to be the dwelling place of God among men. They put it in the most holy of places, in the tabernacle, the holy of holies, and later in the temple, in the holy of holies. So it was a very important symbol of God's power and God's presence in the life of their nation. Now, we looked at in the first week, in 1 Samuel chapter 4, how they lost the ark. They got all confident that the power was in the piece of furniture itself, and after they had lost a battle to the Philistines, they, someone came up with the idea, well, we'll take the ark to the next battle, and the ark will take down the Philistines. Well, they weren't given any consideration to the God that the ark represented. They never went to God and asked God's opinion on anything. They just thought, if we carry this thing into battle, we're going to win. Well, they carried it the into battle, and they got creamed, and they lost the ark. The next week, we looked at what happened once the Philistines captured the ark. Remember, immediately they went back and they put it in the temple of their god, Dagon. And they thought they were, they were jubilant, man. We have the ark. We have captured Israel's god. Our god has been supreme over Israel's god. And so they bring it back and they put it in the temple of Dagon. But we saw in, the, in that last session how in the morning they got up and the big carven image of Dagon had fallen off its pedestal and it was face down before the ark of the covenant. And they thought, well, that's unusual, so they put it back on its pedestal, and the next day they, they walk in, and once again, Dagon is face down before the Ark of the Covenant. This time, his head's broken off and his hands are broken off. And in other words, God put an exclamation point on the idea that I'm God, he's not. And so over time then, we see that God begins to afflict them heavily. He sends tumors among them and an infestation of rats among them. And and, and so he begins to persecute them for for keeping this ark and oppressing them. And, And so Ashdod, where the ark originally was in the temple of Dagon, they finally said, we don't want it. Let's send it to Gath, one of the other Philistine cities. And the people of Gath had it a while and they had the same experience. And they said, we don't want it. Let's send it to Ekron. And then Ekron, when it started going there, they don't even want it to enter the city. They said, what are you sending to us? What, do you want to kill us? And so now they want to get rid of the ark. So today, we're going to look at what happens as they return the Ark of the Covenant to Israel. The idea that we're going to focus on today is respecting the holiness of God. Now, before I get into the actual story today, I want to ask you a question. What does it mean to fear God? What does it mean to fear God? Proverbs 10.9 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, Wisdom 101 is this, fear God. If you want to be a wise person, you got to start with having a fear of God. But a lot of people get that idea confused. What does it mean to fear God? What does that look like? People will say, "I, I thought God loves us. Isn't God our Father? And am I not supposed to love God? Well, how can I love God if I'm afraid of God? How can I love God if I'm afraid of Him? Well, in today's story, today's Bible lesson from the book of 1 Samuel, we're going to meet three groups of people who respond to God's holiness three different ways. And as we examine how they respond to God, perhaps we can better understand how we are responding to God in our life at this point in our relationship with God. So let's get into the story. 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1. When the Ark of the Lord had been in the Philistine territory seven months, the Philistines called for the priests and diviners and said, What shall we do with the Ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it back to its place. After all this time of agony and torment now, the, the religious leaders of Philistine and the diviners, the They all get together and and the, the leaders call them and they say, what are we supposed to do with this ark? How can we get rid of this ark? What do we need to do? Now, that response teaches us one way that people respond to God's holiness. People who are afraid of God, push them away. Get that? People who are afraid of God, push God away story goes on in verse 3, 1 Samuel 6. These soothsayers and chief priests, they say, here's how you do it. If you return the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it away empty, but by all means send a guilt offering to him, then you will be healed and you will know why his hand has not been lifted from you. He says, now, you gotta do this. Make sure that you don't send that thing back empty because this is a God and you don't want to tick this god off anymore. So make sure you send back a guilt offering with them. So the Philistines asked, what kind of guilt offering should we get? What do we do here? And they say, they replied, five gold tumors and five gold rats according to the number of the Philistine rulers. The Philistines had, had city states. There were five great city states. Each one of them had a ruler, kind of like Greece later would with Sparta and Athens and Thebes. So each had a ruler and so they said, in response to each of the five city-states of the Philistines and each of the five rulers, send an idol of a rat and molds of the tumors that we've, that we've had. Make models of the tumors and of the rats that are destroying the country and pay honor to Israel's God. Perhaps he will lift his hand from you and your gods and your land. So they said, all right, here's how we need to do this. These are the religious leaders. You got to make some rats out of gold and you got to make some models of the tumors out of gold. You make five for each of the rulers. You put those in a box and make sure you send that box back with the ark. Now, they've made some colossal mistakes before they even put anything to action. Their first mistake is making such images was a violation of God, Jehovah's commandments. They didn't know who they're dealing with here. In the 10 commandments, actually the second commandment, Exodus 24 God declared, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. God is highly offended when humanity tries to create images to represent God. So that was their first mistake. Their second mistake was these particular images would be highly offensive to God in God's laws. He declared rats, of course, to be unclean animals. You gonna know, give God a rat, happy birthday! Let's Christmas, we all give Jesus a rat, right? You know, I mean, that's crazy to think that. And then they said make models of the tumors. Within the Israelites' law of Moses, they had strict, strict laws for hygienics and for, for cleanliness. And when people had tumors and when people, they were excommunicated from even worshiping God. And so now they're going to make rats, and, and they're going to they're make golden models of these tumors that God is afflicting them with. Their third mistake is God didn't demand statues for guilt offerings. God demanded sacrifice for guilt offerings. And that's important for us because that's what Jesus is all about. Jesus became our sacrifice for our guilt. He's our guilt offering to God as we trust him as our Savior. Their fourth mistake is this. They put God to a test. They decide they're gonna test this God of Israel. Jesus later would say in Luke chapter four, he said, you shall not put the Lord your God to a test. We don't test God, God tests us. And so they come up with a test. Now here's, here's what they decide. First Samuel six, verse seven. Now then, these priests continue on how to get the ark back. It says, get a new cart ready with two cows that, you have, that have never calved. Right, no, let me say it again. Now then, get a new cart ready with two cows that have calved and have never been yoked. Hitch the cows to the cart, but take their calves away and pen them up. Take the ark of the Lord and put it on its cart, and in the chest beside it, put the gold objects you are sending back to him as a guilt offering. All right, so here's their test. And they're stacking the deck in their favor. They say, here's what we're going to do take a cart, now take two cows that have recently calved. Now, cows who have recently calved have one thing in mind, and what's that? Taking care of their calves. They don't want to be separated from their calves. They get very anxious when they get separated from their calves. And they said, two cows that have never been yoked together. Now, I had to do a little research on this because I don't know a lot about animals. I don't know a lot about farming and things like that. But I learned in my research that if you don't get two animals that are used to pulling something together, they're going to fight each other. They've never worked together. And one's going to try to pull the load one way, and one's going to try to pull the other way, and it's going to be, it's going to be a mess. and not going to get done. So they said, let's do that. Then put the ark on the cart and put the gold objects in a chest beside it. They said, send it on its way, but keep watching it. If it goes up to its own territory towards Beth Shemesh, then the Lord has brought this great disaster on us. But if it does not, then we know that it was not by his hand that struck us and that it happened just by chance. See, they're, they're really not quite sure about getting rid of this ark yet. It's caused them a lot of problems. It's like, okay, let's test this God, Jehovah. Let, let, let's, let's put him to a test. And so if we take these cows who aren't going to want to pull that thing, they're going to want to get back to their calves and they're not gonna wanna cooperate with each other, that cart is gonna be going off the road and everything else, it's gonna be a mess, then we'll know, if they don't cooperate with each other and and it's a mess, then we'll know that this stuff just happened to us by accident. It It was simply by accident that Dagon fell off his pedestal in front of the Ark of the Covenant on his face. It's by accident that when we put him back up, it happened again the second day, and this time his head and and his arm. It's just just coincidence. It's just just coincidence that all these tumors and all that kind of stuff. They say, "Well, we'll see. So however, if it goes straight there, then we'll know that all this stuff came from the God of Israel. They put him to a test. Boy, we do that sometimes in a different way. We'll say, all right, God, if it's your will that I... Then, fill in the blank, see, we put God to a test. So they did this, 1 Samuel 6, verse 10. They took two such cows and hitched them to the cart and penned up their calves. They placed the ark of the Lord on the cart and along with its chest containing the gold rats and the models of the tumors. You want to guess what happened? I'll bet you already know. Then the cows went straight up towards Beth Shemah keeping on the road and lowing all the way. They were as happy as happy could be. They did not turn to the right. They did not turn to the left. They went straight back to the land of Israel and the city of Beth Shemesh. The rulers of the Philistine followed them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. They didn't want it to be true. As it took off, well, maybe it's a fluke, it's a fluke. It's not going to work. And the closer that thing got, the more they thought their test was going to prove that God was not the source of their problems, the God of Jehovah. And they followed all the way to the border of the city. Those who fear God push him away. Now, a second response to God's holiness is this. Those who have reverence for God receive him gladly. Those who fear him, push him away. Those who have reverence for him, receive him gladly. Look what happens next. 1 Samuel 6, verse 13. Now the people of Beth were harvesting their wheat in the valley, and when they looked up and saw the ark, they what? Rejoiced at the sight. The cart came to the field of Joshua of Beshema and it stopped beside a large rock. The people chopped up the wood of the cart and sacrificed the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. The Levites took down the ark of the Lord together with the chest containing the gold objects and placed them on a large rock. On that day, the people of Beshema offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices to the Lord. They had a celebration. Now, even though, God had been disciplining them. In fact, God gave them this terrible defeat to the Philistines in the first place. They still understood who God was. And they understood that that was a result of their rebellion. And they welcomed God back, the symbol of God back into their territory. It says, the five rulers of the Philistines saw all this and then returned that same day to Ekron. Don't you know those guys were watching all this and saying, are they crazy? Do they know... How terrible that ark is? Do they realize how terrible things happen? Whoever has possession of that ark? But they received it, what? Gladly, gladly. Those who have reverence for God do that. They receive him gladly. God's not a burden. God's not an obligation. God is a blessing. God is a joy. Now, here's where the story takes a little twist. A third response that we see in this story is that those who have disrespect for God provoke his anger. 1 Samuel 6, verse 19. But God struck down some of the men of Beth Shemesh, putting 70 of them to death because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. The people mourned because of the heavy blow the Lord had dealt them. And the men of Beth Shemesh asked, Who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? To whom will the ark go up from here? They sent messengers to the people of Kiriath-Jerim, saying, The Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it to your place. Now, they're pushing the ark away because some of their own had provoked God to anger. I don't know who came up with this idea, but at some point, someone says, let's take a look inside the ark. Because remember, inside the ark were five, or were three important Jewish symbols. One, the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments were in there. Other thing that was in there was Aaron's rod that budded. And the third thing was a jar of the manna that God had had fed the the Israelites as they went through their 40 years of wandering through the wilderness. Now, I don't know, it might have been just curiosity, and and I guess you might even think, I can't blame them. They say, man, here's our only opportunity. See, because most of the time, they couldn't get anywhere near the Ark of the Covenant. It was in the holy, holy places. And now's a chance. Wow, we actually have access to the Ark. Let's look at the Ten Commandments. Let's look at the original Ten Commandments. If they had iPhones back in that day they'd have them out ready to take pictures. Let's look at Aaron's rod. Let's maybe even see if we can taste some of that man and see what that was like. And they they, they opened that ark up. And by doing that, they provoke God to anger. And God kills all 70 of them who look in that ark. Now I don't know if it happened like in the movie with fire coming out and all through the guys and their flesh melting out. I don't know. God killed them though. I do know that. Now, now understand the difference here. God afflicted the Philistines, but He didn't kill them. Now, why did God only afflict the Philistines, but He killed the Israelites? Here's the difference the Philistines didn't know what they were doing, they didn't have a relationship with God Jehovah, they didn't have His law. You could even maybe argue that they might have reverenced God Jehovah when they put him in the temple with their God Dagon. You might even say, well, that was a sign of respect. They didn't know what they were doing. They were doing wrong, so God chastised them for that. But the Israelites knew what they were doing. They knew that what they were doing was wrong, and they provoked God to anger because they disrespected God. All right, now we gotta get going. We've got to bring all this home. What does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with you this morning? Well, depending on where you are in your relationship with God this morning, depending on which one of these Three responses to the holiness of God you are embracing right now. It has a lot to do with you. That's why God gave us this story, even in the Old Testament, that we might learn from it and that we might apply its lessons to our everyday lives. That's what the Bible's about. How are you responding to God right now? Well, those who are afraid of God, push them away. Maybe that's kind of where you're at right now. And you, you, you've been kind of pushing God away. You've been creating some distance between you and God. Now, now you haven't lost your faith in God and you don't hate God and you, you don't hate Jesus Christ and you still love Jesus and you still believe in the cross and you still believe in all that. But, but in your everyday practical life, you, you, you've been putting some distance between you and God. You're not comfortable in your relationship with him. You have fallen into not reverence for God, but fear of God. Now, what causes that? Well, what normally causes that, in my experience, in my own Christian walk, let me start here, let me start at home, in my walk, in my life, my experience, and what I have observed in Believers' lives, who I've talked to and counseled and pastored over the years, what usually causes us to fear God is sin. David, in Psalm 32, is giving his And I love this particular passage, and I know I've shared it with you before because I think it's so clear, it's so vivid. David contrasts living outside of sin and living in sin. Remember, he's committed adultery with Bathsheba. And not only has he committed adultery with Bathsheba, but she's gotten pregnant, and to try to cover up the pregnancy, he has her husband Uriah murdered so that he can take her as his own wife. So in the midst of this, David is is, is thinking about his relationship with God. And he says in Psalm 32, verse one, blessed is he. And the word blessed in the Bible, you could also interpret happy. So happy is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Happy is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and whose spirit is no deceit. He's thinking back, he said, you know what? Before I did this thing, I felt a lot better about being around God. But now he contrasts it, and he says in verse 3, When I kept silent about this, when I tried to hide it all, and when I didn't come to grips with it, he said, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. In other words, guilt kept bearing down on David's consciousness. And he couldn't get rid of it. He couldn't walk away with it. He woke up and it was right there. Probably dreamed about it at night. All day long it was there. When you go to bed at night, it was there. I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but has that happened to you? It's happened to me. I'll be honest with you. And why? Because of our sin, see? Sin might be enjoyable for the moment, but after it produces shame, it produces guilt. And when that happens, what we tend to do is we start pushing God away. Don't read our Bibles like we know we should. We we, we give a whole lot more consideration in not coming to church or serving in ministries or giving giving our tithes and our offerings. We we, we start pushing God away. No, I'm not gonna go today. You guys go, I don't feel real well. Or, ah, there's a game on, I wanna see it start. Whatever it is, we we start pushing God away, see? And the result is, as believers especially, we lose our peace with God. We lose a sense of our relationship with him. So David wises up, and here's what he says in verse five. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And the result was, and you forgave the what? Guilt of my sin, see? David got smart. David realized that he had been pushing God away. And the only way to restore that relationship was for him to get clean, come clean with God. God already knew it. He wasn't telling God anything God didn't know. But see, it's important for God to realize and God to hear us confess to him that we understand that we have violated his law. Hebrews 4, 7 says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if that response to God's holiness is characterizing your relationship with God right now. The author of Hebrews is saying this. Right now, if God is speaking to you about that through the presence of the Holy Spirit, and some of you, undoubtedly here, he is. And you're saying, man, that's me. Man, that's me. See, he preaching to me this morning? Did he have my name in mind when he made this sermon? You know, if that's you, then you're hearing the voice of the Lord. Don't neglect that. Do something about it. You say, what do I do? I'm going to tell you in a minute. Another response is that those who have disrespect for God provoke his anger. Now, we're going a step beyond now where we just were, that we start pushing God away. This is a stage, as believers, when we know we're doing wrong, and we're kind of trying to put some distance between ourselves and God because it's very uncomfortable to be around God because of our guilt. But this is the stage when we say, I don't care. I'm still going to do it. I'm not going to get it right. I'm going to keep doing it. Romans 1, 18, Paul says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. God is a God of love. God is our Father. But God is not a chump. God can be pushed too far. He is Merciful, he's generous, but there's a point where we provoke God's anger not his, I'm gonna get you, but you've forced my hand now. I've got to intervene in your life because I got to correct your path because you're going down the wrong path. So, so I got to trouble the waters of your life here a little. Now, what does this look like? How do we provoke? the anger of God. Colossians 3, 5 through 10 says this, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greeds, which is idolatry. Now, Understand, he's speaking to believers here. He's not speaking to a lost world. He's not thinking to the atheists and the agnostics. He's speaking to Christ followers now, the church at Colossae. He says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. He says, God's wrath is being revealed now and that we have sickness and we have financial problems, we have relational problems. He says, but the real wrath of God is being held back. But it's coming. The reason it's coming and it ultimately will come is because of this kind of behavior. Now, I know some of you are going, whew, whew, man, I'm not doing any of that. I'm okay here, I don't get too comfortable. Because he hasn't finished the list yet. He goes on to say in verse seven, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. He says, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, and malice, temper, and inappropriate responses of our temper and our anger. Destructive behaviors that result from our anger and our, our desire for revenge. That's malice. Slander and filthy language coming from your lips, what we do with our tongue. It means gossiping. Oh, did you hear about it? Oh, man, have I got something to tell you? Face gossip. Face page, face gossip, you know, (laughs) Twitter gossip, 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 gossip. We live in the world of gossip. Those kind of things provoke God's anger. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. See, all those things provoke God to anger. Now those who have reverence for God receive him gladly. What does that look like? I got to believe that the vast majority of us here today want to fall into this category in our relationship with God. So what does that look like? Well, how did the Israelites, because we're using this story as our model, how did they respond to God's holiness in an appropriate way? How did they give him reverence and receive him gladly through that reverence. Well, the first gesture of reverence is they put God first in their life. When they saw that card, it was harvest season. Harvest season is a very important time to an agrarian culture. They don't have a lot of time. they got to harvest those, those crops in just the amount of time or those crops are going to be ruined but even though their livelihood and possibly the livelihood of their city, Beth Shemesh, depended on them keeping going and doing that work, they dropped everything they were doing, and they gladly received the ark of the Lord. See, Jesus says to me and to you in Matthew 6.33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be provided as well. See, what God's saying is, he says, listen, you trust me. Put me first in your life. Instead of chasing all the things of the world, material things and fame and popularity and all that stuff, he says, put me first and you watch and see if I won't give you the other things that that you need and want in life. Their second gesture of reverence is they made a sacrifice. They saw that cart. It was a brand new cart. It was a good cart. They could have used that cart for their harvest. But what did they do? They chopped it up in the kindling wood. And they used it to make a sacrifice, to sacrifice those cows pulling that cart to God Jehovah. Matthew 19, 29. Jesus says, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Jesus says, again, he says, listen, Jesus was very open about this. Jesus in another place said, said, if you want to follow me, you got to take up your cross and follow me. You know, Jesus was so candid and so honest with us. He didn't say, you know, following me is just going to be a really great time and everything's going to go smooth. He said the opposite. He said, man, you follow me, it's not going to be fun. It's It's going to be ugly. He said, but anyone who is willing to sacrifice. So when I sacrifice my time for the Lord, even though time is very valuable to all of us, it's one of our most precious commodities today. When I say, you know, God, I'm going to receive you gladly by sacrificing my time for you our finances. God, I'm going to give my tithe, my 10% to you gladly as an act of reverence. See me, God? I'm doing it gladly. Philippians 3, eight, Paul, who gave up a really, really, really promising life, an over-the-top promising lifestyle. He was one of the He was on the fast track to becoming one of the religious leaders, the hierarchy of leadership in Israel. He was on the fast track for fame and fortune until he met Jesus Christ. And reflecting back on that, he says in Philippians 3.8, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I might gain Christ. Oh, Paul... Man, I wish I, could, I wish I could embrace that like you did. Think, you know, everything in this world. He said, I, look back, I lost it all. I lost the fame. I lost the power. I lost the position. I lost all that. And looking back at it, I, a bunch of trash over there. What, look what I've got with Jesus. Amen. See, if only we could grasp that. See, that's part of receiving him gladly. Their third act of reverence was they followed God's law. They came back and they chopped up that, that wagon. They sacrificed those cows. And, and, and initially, the men of Beshemoth and the population, the women of Beshemoth, they did it God's way. They didn't go near that ark by themselves. They called for the Levites. Remember, God had ordained the Levites a special group, subculture within the population of the nation of Israel to be the ones who were in charge of worship and taking care of the worship things of God, including the Ark of the Covenant. They didn't touch it. They called for the Levites, for the Levites to come and take that Ark off off the cart and put it on a rock. See, they followed God's law. John 14, 15, Jesus says this to me and to you. He said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. He said, listen, do what I tell you to do. Do it the way I tell you to do it. And he says, your life is gonna go a lot better if you do. See, God doesn't give us commandments to oppress us. God gives us commandments to guide us, to liberate us. Because when we follow the things we wanna do, how often has that turned out good? I can tell you about a lot of train wrecks in my own life. Plus, I can tell you about a lot of train wrecks in your life. But that would be Gossip. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, people today want to believe that there's a smorgasbord of ways back to God. Postmodernism, our culture today will say, just just embrace some religion because all religions are equally as valid and we're all going to end up at the same place. So you just choose whatever religion you want to do and and you're going to be okay. Well, not according to Jesus. Jesus said, "Uh uh-uh, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And our highest act of reverence to God is to agree with that and to put ourselves under that. So that's what Paul was saying when he writes in Romans ten, nine: If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. See, we gotta do it God's way. How are you responding to God right now? Let's bow our heads. Important story. And it's really important what we do with the story. See, we come and we teach our children, they'll color things and they'll have a lot of fun with the story and they'll go home and tell mom and dad and grandma and grandpa about the story. But now we're adults. See, God expects us now to apply it So what is God saying to you right now? Remember that verse in Hebrews 4, 7? It said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart towards it. What is God speaking to you about right now? Maybe you're a believer. And as a believer, you've, you, you've been kind of recently trying to put some distance between you and God. You've been kind of pushing them away. And the reason is because there's some sin in your life that needs to be confessed. Well, 1 John 1, 9 says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If you'll do what David did, and you'll get true with God, you'll say, God, I've done it. I've blown it. God, I own it. It's my responsibility. I don't blame you. I don't blame anybody else. And God, I want your forgiveness now. I want you to restore the joy of my salvation. Then you can begin to experience that, that relationship of peace again. Maybe here today and you've gone a step more, you've actually provoked God's anger because you have willingly been going on and 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 on. Well then now's the time to take care of that too. But maybe you're here today and you've never received him gladly. You've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. And if that's the case, God brought you here today to give you that opportunity. He used somebody, he used some circumstance, he used some feeling that he put inside you, something brought you to this service today. And he brought you here so that you could have eternal life. Well, no one's looking around and I promise I won't embarrass anybody. But if you're here today and in this last area of reverencing God, trusting Jesus as our savior, putting our faith in what he has already done instead of how good of a person we can become. You're here today and you're not really sure where you're gonna spend eternity. Well, no one's looking around. Just so I can pray for you, would you raise your hand and say, Pastor Pete, I don't know where I'm going to spend eternity. I've never trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Is there anyone like that here today? By the show of hands, we've all trusted Christ. And I'm glad that's true. So then, believers, we need to. We need to take our hearts our souls, our spirits to God right now in whatever way he's calling us to do so. Thank you God for this this important Bible example. And Lord, we know that you have preserved it over thousands of years when many forces have tried to eradicate your word. You have protected it so that we could hear this story on this Sunday and we could learn from the mistakes that were made by people in this story And we can learn by the things that were done productively and correctly and things that we're honoring to you. Now, God, wherever we're at, wherever you're leading us right now, Lord, help us today. We hear your voice. Help us not to harden our hearts to you for your glory and for our welfare and the welfare of our families. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen.